unless I see the mark of the nails. No, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails, I will not believe. Of all the words I have spoken, there are no four words I regret more than what you see now. Those four words have defined me for millennia, defined me by my failure, and defined me by my pride, my stubbornness, my bullheadedness. And now, now I see just how wrong I was, and I stand before you without excuse, but I would hope that you could at least offer me some understanding and just consider that maybe you would have found yourself in the same place. My name is Thomas. No doubt you've heard of me. I was chosen by Jesus, not just a follower, not just a disciple, but an apostle, one who was sent, one who was sent to take the message. And I took the message, I preached, I taught, I traveled, I served. But my unfortunate legacy, what I seem to be most known for, are those four words, Doubting Thomas. You've said it, haven't you? You've said Doubting Thomas. Maybe you've had it said about you. Matthew, I, I read Matthew's Gospel. Matthew is so careful with the, the prophecies and listing all of the, the quotes uh, Luke is so careful and meticulous with the timeline, getting everything in order. Uh, Mark is just excited and, and writes his very quick little gospel, but then it was John. It was John who included those words, my shame. John, the disciple who Jesus loved. He loved us all, John. But it was John who recorded those words, my shame in his gospel. You'd find them in your Bibles in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Before he left, your preacher told me to tell you that if you look at those blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 907. But it's there in verse 25 that John records my words. My words to him, my words to Peter, my words to the rest of them, unless, unless I see the nail marks in his wrist, unless... Unless I put my fingers in those marks, unless I put my hand into his side, I, my words, please understand, I was not there on that glorious Sunday that you are celebrating today. I was not there when Jesus revealed himself. I, I was not there in the garden with, uh, with Mary at the tomb. I was not there with Peter and John as they raced to the empty tomb, as they, as they looked in, and as John would remind you, I outrun Peter. I, I was not there while the others were in hiding behind locked doors, fearing that if the Romans did this to Jesus, they might do this to them. Fearing that if, the, if the, the Sanhedrin had done this to Jesus, that they would be next. They were all locked in, locked in behind the doors, afraid. I alone left. I alone went out for food. I alone went out for supplies. I was the brave one. But that's my legacy. Those words define me. In my defense, I mean, you, you've said it yourself, haven't you? Seeing, seeing is believing, 
right? You, you've said that, seeing is believing. And prior to that day, I had seen exactly as many crucified, as many resurrected people as you had. I had seen as many resurrected bodies as you have. Zero. Yes, I had seen Lazarus raised from after an illness, raised after four days. I had been in the town of Nain with Jesus and the others when Jesus raised that poor widow's son, her only son, when he raised him to life and gave him back to her. But this, this was different. This was crucifixion. This was, this was a body tortured and mangled on a cross, drained of every drop of blood and left as a lifeless husk. I had seen crucifixion. I had seen the results and the possibility of life, of resuscitation, of restoration, resurrection, that was too much to believe. Something held me back. Maybe, maybe it holds you back also. I needed more than just stories. I needed more than just the excitement and the happy songs that other people seem to find to be completely adequate. I needed proof. I needed something I could examine, something I could touch, something I could feel, something I could see. And it's not that I didn't want to believe. I, I wanted to believe, but without, without that evidence, without that proof, I could not. I, I would not. And yet for some, it's so easy. It comes so easy, so easy to trust, so easy to take Jesus at his word. I remember when we were in Bethesda. There's a pool there. And there was a man laying at that pool. He had been paralyzed and laying there for 30 years, drawn to that pool by the claim that once in a while, an angel would come down, would stir up the waters, and the first one in would be healed. And yet he had laid there for 30 years. For 30 years, he had never gone into the water. For 30 years, he had never tested its promises. And that day we met him, Jesus encountered him, looked down, and Jesus simply said to him, do you want to get well? Did I want? Did I want to believe? I believe I wanted to believe. I, I believe I wanted to, but, but without proof, without proof, what, what was I to do? That, that, that man had excuses. No one will carry me to the water. Whenever the water stirred, someone else gets in before me. I had excuses. Unless, unless I put my fingers in the marks in his wrist, unless I feel the hole in his side, I... Do you have any unlesses? Do you have any excuses? Maybe we all do. Maybe we all have our excuses. Maybe we all have that one need that holds us back, that one need that keeps us from believing. Seeing is believing, right? Or is it? What if believing isn't about seeing? What if believing is about doing? What if believing is about moving forward despite our doubts. 
It had been a week. It had been a solid week. I want you to consider that. It had been eight days by the Jewish reckoning of a week from Sunday to Sunday. Eight days. I held to my convictions for eight days. Eight days of Mary telling us, I saw him at the tomb. He called me by name. And I held to my convictions. Eight days of Peter and John saying, we went to the tomb. We saw the grave clothes. They were laying there. The towel was folded up and laid in place. And I held to my convictions. And then Cleopas came back. Cleopas and his friend came back after walking to Emmaus and encountering Jesus. Cleopas said, our eyes were open when he broke the bread. My eyes remained tightly shut. I. For some, belief came so easy. For some, belief comes so easy. I, I think about that man at the pool. I think about him. Jesus finally said to him, get up, take your mat and walk. <laughs> 30 years he had laid there, 30 years of excuses. And he abandoned his excuses like that. And he walked. Why? How? I know Jesus healed him, but, but what made him believe in himself that he could stand. What made him take that first impossible step? What made him do the impossible and trust that because Jesus said it, he could do it? My excuses. <laughs> Only eight days of excuses, but eight days, eight days behind locked doors, eight days behind locked doors, fearing for our lives, eight days of me holding to my convictions and I looked up, and, and there he was. There he was standing right in front of me. It was like he had always been there. You think about that loved one that you've lost. You think about that loved one and how they always sat in that one chair in the living room. And after they're gone, you walk in, and you still, you still expect them to be sitting in that chair and then in that moment you realize no they're not going to be there it was like that except he was there except he was standing there right in front of me for a moment and then there he was and he was there the locked doors didn't keep him out my doubt did not keep him out he stood right there before me the paralyzed man 30 years paralyzed in his inability to walk it didn't keep Jesus out Jesus out and whatever it is that keeps you from trusting keeps you from believing trusting in his love for you his forgiveness for you his purpose in your life that doesn't keep him out and i tell you this whatever your doubts whether it's a doubt you have about Him, whether it's a doubt you have about yourself, whether it's a doubt you have about His church, Jesus is willing to meet you at your doubts. There He stood before me. I had last seen Him on the cross, hands and feet nailed to the cross. That's when I ran. That's when I left. But He stood before me alive and he walked to me and he looked me in the eye. He, he, he looked through me. He knew me. Not just that he knew me, but he, he knew the words I had said for eight days. He knew 
my demands. He knew those words. And in that moment, I was more paralyzed than the man at the pool. For that man, it was simple. Take up your mat and walk. He took up his mat and he did just that. But me, Jesus held out his wrist. I could see the hole, the hole that went all the way through. I could see the nail marks. And in that moment, I froze. <clears throat> I recoiled. I was the one who was paralyzed. And so he took my hand and he pulled it. And he pulled me to his wrist and he pushed my fingers into that hole. And then he lifted his tunic and he showed me the hole in his side where the spear had pierced him, the hole where blood and water had poured forth, the, the, the hole where his life had drained out, the hole that led all the way to his pierced heart, his broken heart, his heart broken for me. And again, he took my wrist and he dragged my hand into that hole, into that wound. And he looked me in the eye and he said those words to me, do not disbelieve. Believe! It was, it was a warning. It was a warning that there was a crossroads ahead of me. There were two paths I could take. Either one, either path would have a world of doubts on them. There would always be doubts in front of me. But I could allow those doubts to paralyze me and put me on a path I could never escape. Or I could allow Jesus to meet me at my doubts. Not just meet me there, but call me to move ahead despite them. And in that moment, my only response was to recognize Him for who He had to be. My Lord and my God. And you know, in that moment, He told me about you. He told me about you. This might surprise me, but he might surprise you, but he, he told me about you that day. Not you by name, but you by your experience or you by your lack of experience. He told me about you by your doubts. Jesus looked right at me and he said, Thomas, have you only believed because you've seen? And he was right, of course. I had seen, I had touched. But that's not faith. That's privilege. Faith is something more. Faith has to be something more. And for faith to be greater than our doubt, it can't be about touching marks. It can't be about seeing the wounds. It has to be about how our faith touches us and touches our hearts. And that's when He mentioned you. And He told me about His promise to you. Yes, Jesus had shown Himself to me. Yes, I had declared the truth about Him based on what I had seen, based on what I had felt. My Lord and my God. But He said about you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And there is a greater promise for you for a faith that persists despite your doubts. And so I ask you today, Will you give Him your life? Not just your life, but will, will you give Him your doubts? And I promise you this, in this church there are people who love you. There are people who value you. There are people who want the very best for you. There is room here for you. 
And there is room for your questions. There is room for doubt. And room for you to find your answer, your hopes, your belongings, and for you to find Jesus. And like so many others here, more blessed than me, room for you to declare my Lord and my God, and room for you to say those words. And you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You know, you don't write a sermon like this <laughs> without digging into the scripture, but even more, you don't write a sermon like that without embodying that character. And over the last couple of weeks, as I have worked through what this would look like, I have come to appreciate Thomas more than I ever had before. And I've come to recognize the Thomas that's in me. That despite doubts, I seek faith. And I've come to recognize Thomas's privilege. Thomas touched Jesus. He saw the wounds. He saw where his body had been broken. He saw where his blood had been shed. And that was Thomas's privilege. But you and I gather week after week to take communion and to recognize not just in the bread and not just in the cup, the body broken, the blood shed, but recognize that this is the body of Christ and that together we show the life of Christ to one another. And I don't think it's just about you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I think it comes down to you ask me how I know he lives. I've seen him live in you. I've seen him live in your heart. And together, despite our doubts, we see Christ in each other. And we know that he's alive. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing. And we'll take together. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We also lay our doubts before you. Lord, every one of us has questions. Every one of us would love to seek answers. Every one of us would love that place of privilege with Thomas where we could see it all, where we could understand it all. Lord, we have searched, we have read, we have examined, we have watched documentaries, we have gone again and again to your word, and our doubts persist. But we come to one another, and we see lives that are changed. We see people that are healed, not just physically, but hearts that have been healed and deep, deep, long-lasting wounds that have been mended because the life of Christ is in them and the life of Christ is in others. And together, together we heal. Together we make one another whole. And together we show each other the life of your Son. We ask your blessing over this time. We bless the cup as we share it that we might remind us of the blood that binds us together. Bless the bread as we break it together. That it re might remind us that just as, just as you and the Son are one and the Spirit are one, we are one together. And we thank you that despite our doubts, <laughs> you continue to love us and forgive us and pour your life out for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.